All right, good morning. Welcome. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church. It's a great day. Uh, this is really just the preamble to the main event, which is uh, going to be Natalie Smith's baptism, which is going to be awesome. A day uh, that we'll get to remember for the rest of our lives. Mostly Natalie will remember it, but the rest of us will get to be part of it, um, which is a, uh, a special, special memory. Uh, a day that will protect her uh, as Satan attacks. You know, you always... Baptism is this great gift given from God, this line of demarcation of old to new, uh, dying to living. Uh, for all of us, for many of us, we can recall that day um, and be able to protect us from the, the attacks that are levied against us by Satan. So exciting time for Natalie. That's going to happen in just a little bit. Uh, I was going to just show a regular old keynote presentation, but Larry showed pictures. So now I got to show pictures. I got to show pictures as well. So I want to belong, but... Uh, actually, my brother's here. My uh, John Mark is right there. He's, uh, he's, he's very shy. But uh, I want to show a few photos. Uh, we have uh, a great father, uh, a great uh, paternal, a great uh, biological dad. Uh, his name's Michael. There he is, Mike. Big Mike in the middle. Uh, so there's a picture. As you can see, John Mark, my little brother's the cute one. I had to develop an aptitude for social skills because um, I couldn't get by on looks early in life. I had to, I had to be sociable. Uh, there's my great smile there. See how he smile. My sister uh, Kelly, uh, she's in Dallas uh, right now uh, with her husband and three girls, and then my mom, my awesome mom there. There's us. Uh, I got a, uh, there's another one when we're a little bit younger. Uh, there we are again. My awesome dad. And uh, the great photo that all you guys like, the one where we all broke our arm in the same week. Um, and not just broke our arm in the same week, but broke our arm in the same week our parents happened to be away uh, with the same babysitter. So a great photo. Uh, yes, babys- babysitter not photoed. Um, the, uh, as you can see, my brother and I have great Cowboys uh, casts. So that's pretty cool. Larry in Dallas. Um, so there we are. Great, great photo. Oh, the babysitter. She's, she's a great disciple to this day. She's, uh, she's, yeah, she's, yeah. I don't think any other kids have broken arms since then. She's in the LA church of Christ. She's doing great with her husband, Daryl and their awesome kids. So, uh, we have an awesome family. We have a great, a great dad. Um, I love my father. I love my dad. He's, uh, done everything. Larry said, I want to be my dad and more. If I could be half the father my dad is, I would be doing okay. So I know my brother and I are very grateful for, for our dad, not just for all that he provided materially, but also as he helped kind of set the spiritual status quo of the family. Um, and so uh, very grateful for, for our dad. The title of my lesson today is Good, Good Father, and we'll be in Luke chapter 2. So hop over to Luke. We're taking a break from Genesis. We were, we were, getting, we were gaining some momentum in Genesis. We were hitting a roll. I know, but we're going to take a break for Father's Day here. Luke chapter 2. Only because Genesis 21 didn't lend itself extremely well to be applicable to Father's Day. I could have probably made it work with some pretty poor preaching skills, but, um, but we'll, stick, we'll stick with what makes sense here. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about our good, good father. Um, I usually stick to a pretty strict... Um, format for my sermon writing, but recently I've, I've deviated quite a bit. I'm kind of in a rebellious phase. Um, and so today we're going to go even more off the map. So just, we're going to roll with me. It's going to be exciting. We're going to go off-roading. So uh, last week I said to buckle up. This week 
Uh, I know it's very scary, but this week we've got to buckle up all the more. We're going to be uh, in some, we're going to be going wild. So get ready to turn your Bibles. It might be Old Testament, it might be New Testament. Get ready to, you know, we've got to be ready to go. There might be some, we'll have some doctors in the back for some, uh, if you need some like a rehab, a build, rehabilitation for, for, the, for the carpal tunnel. But uh, it'll be exciting today as we dive into this concept of fatherhood. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus has been, he's been born and he's been taken to the, uh, the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Passover is one of three mandatory feasts all Jews had to go to, mandatory, in Jerusalem. Passover is one of the biggest. Passover is uh, like Christmas, uh, but even, even greater than Christmas there for, for Israelites, for Jews. So they go down to Passover and something incredible happens. Jesus is the age of 12. Uh, 12 is an important age for a Jew. 12 is the year most Jews believe uh, that a, a, a person, a young man or woman, can now be accountable for their sins. So I'm looking over here for you guys. Some of you guys, yeah, it's, they start counting against you there at 12. Uh, I don't know. But it was this idea that you were becoming mature enough to know, and you were becoming at, at a point where you uh, could uh, really know God intimately. Uh, as you're, when you're younger, you're still kind of learning what is right and wrong. But at 12, that was kind of the year. So 12 is a big year. 12 is a big number for Jews. And so here at Jesus at the age of 12, Really, the only story we have of him as a young person, a young man, we're going to get to see this really cool episode of what he was like. And in Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 41. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus goes with his family down to Jerusalem. Uh, often these, these uh, trips were big caravans of people. So, you know, you had only really 20, 25 families in total in all of Nazareth. It's a very small place. So very, very likely many of them would just travel together. So you could imagine how, you know, you break for camp after one day you set up the tents, you realize you kind of assume your kids are around or maybe one of your kids is with the group. And then you realize after setting up camp, have you seen, have you seen Jesus? Anyone seen Jesus? He's about this tall, you know, he's, he's a future Messiah. Have we seen him? Uh, you know, but no one knows where Jesus is. So they, after traveling for a day, they got to go back to Jerusalem, which during uh, the time of Passover would swell to many hundreds of thousands of people. And just think about the anxiety, right? For, for, for mother and for father, how you feel when you lose for, use your kid for five minutes, you know, at, at Trader Joe's or something, you're like, where are they? you know, like, oh man, where are they? Uh, like, and, but for three days, they can't find him in this massive city of Jerusalem. Um, they finally find him, you know, uh, in the last place they look, which is the temple here, apparently. And Jesus is there. And it's an interesting, it's a very interesting story about Jesus and his parents. And there's a little bit of tension because 
Uh, it almost seems like Jesus is kind of at age 12, on one hand, uh, sort of rebelling against them. Like, almost like rebuking them here. Like, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, mom? How are your, how are your quiet times, mom? You know, how are you, how are you doing spiritually, mom? You know, just kind of like this, almost this reproval rebuke of why. And so it's interesting. And I think sometimes when you deal with family, it can get complicated. Things can be very complicated with family. And a lot of times, most people, uh, as they grow up and get older, they really either love what their family did uh, and they embrace it or they continue it or they really don't like what their family did and they tend to rebel or reject. And try, sometimes they swing the whole other way. Like my mom was really on, you know, it was all over me. She's intense. She was a helicopter mom. So I'm just going to let my kids do whatever they want. Or my mom gave me way too much freedom and it hurt me way too much. So I'm going to really clamp down on my kids. I and mean, we kind of do that, right? In terms of parenting, especially, but we do it in how we live. Uh, family relationships can be very difficult, complicated relationships, especially when someone makes the radical decision to become a disciple. And I'm not talking like, you know, uh, I'm not talking like mainstream Christian, like I was confirmed, but you know, your life doesn't change. I'm talking when your life really changes, you really repent, you really like there's a there's a, a old person is gone. New person has come. Usually people around you, friends sometimes feel it and they can wrestle with it. Sometimes you lose friends because of the, the decision you make. But family definitely feels it. And it can really be really awesome. I love that Larry and Landon were up here sharing. It's a great example of, of the, uh, how God's word spread throughout the family. His spirit worked within and is continuing to work within the Dorier family um, in a great way. And we love the Doriers and all that they do. And they show that. Sometimes uh, people's parents or their kids or their siblings or their, they don't respond so well to someone changing. And it becomes difficult when we get to a place where sometimes we feel like we've got to choose. Like, okay, choose your family or choose God or choose your friends or choose God. Um, This happens a lot in campus ministry um, because a lot of times campus students are still very much part of their family, um, but they're also kind of independent. And so a lot of times, especially if their life changes, they come back right from from Christmas break or something. And the parents are kind of like, what happened to you or what, you know, what cult did you bump into that now changed you? Who's who's making you do that? Right. Who's making who's forcing you to do that thing? And parents get kind of worried. Right. A lot with campus ministry a bit. But and then so a lot of campus students are faced with this, this fork in the road a lot of times. Uh, and it could be a false decision or a false, you know, kind of dichotomy. But nonetheless, we can feel pressure uh, with with what do we who do we please? It doesn't have to be just family. It happens all the time with your work, with your boss. We all face pressure of do we make this decision to please God or to, to please this person? And that can be can be tiny decisions. Uh, for, for a teenager, right? It could be, do I make this decision to do something with this boy sexually? Or do I do something that, uh, that would please God? Uh, do, I, do I make this joke in class that might be uh, disrespectful, inappropriate, it might get me detention or something, but I want my friends to like me? These little minute moments, right? It could be, could be something as small as for a lot of us going to an event of the ministry, like going to I Was Hungry or Serving the Poor, or going to Laurels. Like, I want to do that, but I also really want to hang out with my friends, or I want some me time, or I want... And we can, or I feel like overwhelmed, right? You know, I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my wife. I got to take care of my husband. Now it's, it's easier, like with the sexual example for you to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do that. Like, uh, but it's, it's harder with the example of like, should I go to this ministry event or should I pray or should I read my Bible or should I spend time with my daughter? Right? Cause spending time with your daughter is a good thing. Right. Uh, spending time with your son's a good thing. Then it gets complicated. It's, it would be really easy for us to just print out a sheet and hand it out to you guys of like when to do certain things. 
Maybe some churches do that. Maybe it's fairly effective for a while. I don't know. But there's a certain depth that has to occur of discernment. Of There are a lot of good things to do, but which ones will I do? And a lot of times we do things based on what's going on in our heart. And so, uh, and we can, but we can spin it. We can spin it because it looks really good. Uh, the, 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 hard, the, the person whose idol is their work can say they're a really hardworking, you know, industrious person. And it sounds quite nice. You know, the person who, whose idol is making, maybe it's a husband just trying to keep their wife happy, just to keep my wife happy. Like you can really spin that and say, well, a good husband takes care of his wife. And no one's really going to buck against that. No one's going to, you know, m- most people won't. But if your wife is your idol, if she's, if she's the person that where you, it's internally kind of calling the shots, you're, I, I can foresee what decision you'll make. When it comes down to serving the poor or taking care of your wife, I can tell because she's become your authority figure in your heart. Right. Now, I'm not, we got, you know, we've got to be really careful. We, we kind of sway back and forth. Of, well, what are you saying? Are you saying I shouldn't love my wife? No, no I'm not saying that. No one's saying that. The, the point is, is that we've, there's a lot of good things to do. Right. How about we end service now and go share our faith? How about we end service now? and go, There's a lot of good things to do right now. And so we have to be able to realize, and I think a, a path of what Jesus takes here is a really incredible, uh, a brilliant moment for a kid at this age. Yeah. Is and, and Mary doesn't get it, right? And actually, this is the second time in the chapter. We didn't read it. But earlier in the chapter, it says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Then a few verses later, it says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. Basically, it's like, what was that? But she remembered. Yeah. A lot of people think that Mary um, told Luke to write those things down. <laughs> and he's like, she treasured. You know, here, like, she obviously remembered these things. She treasured them in her heart. She pondered them. It didn't quite make sense to her. But we had this moment where Jesus is apparently abandoned his family of sorts to go be in the temple. So what is he saying? Is he saying that, that we, got, we, we must do that? Is he saying that, yeah, okay, we need, to, we need to reject our families, right? We need to reject those around us. We need to love God first and foremost. What's Jesus saying? I think what's interesting in this passage is he's not really, Jesus isn't really saying anything. It's a 12-year-old boy. And even the author, Luke, is trying to help us understand a lot of people can ask the question, like, what was Jesus like as a kid? You know, like, was he perfect all the time? Like, did he make mistakes? Did he ever, like, trip on a rock or something? And he was, was, he, like, was he, did he ever mess up? And I love that Luke, at the end of this, says, Jesus continued to mature. He continued to grow. Well, that implies that well, Jesus is a kid. He's, Jesus is growing up like any kid. And he's kind of learning these things. He's maturing. Um, and here, he, he's, Jesus doesn't really say anything. In fact, what Jesus is saying to his parents is he's really just showing he's surprised. That's really it. All that's happening here, he's not rebuking them. He's not challenging them. He's not, he's not trying to teach or preach at them. He's simply surprised that they didn't know he must be there. He's just simple. That's it. They, and his mom, in the, the, the words that uh, Mary uses in that order are very often used when someone feels betrayed in the Bible. You know, why have you done this to us? So Mary feels in a way betrayed. Like, why have, you, why have you betrayed us, right? Interesting that Joseph doesn't speak. Joseph's there, apparently, but once again, kind of a, as an example of a father, he seems to be quite passive. Uh, and for most fathers, I think, uh, the struggle for most men is to be passive. To be, to, if, if, if your wife feels a lot, just to get out of the way. You know what, I just want to keep her happy. She's angry, I just let her do it. Just, you know what, just be passive, just don't. Don't, do I have an opinion? I don't have an opinion. I don't, I don't care. You do what you want to do. And men can struggle a lot with being lazy and passive. Right? And we don't take initiative. We don't lead the family. We don't, we don't lead the, 
We don't set up the status quo of spirituality. A lot of times the mom does and the husband just kind of comes along for the ride. And it's quite sad. But here, Joseph is kind of an example of that. But Jesus is simply surprised. He goes, didn't you know I, I, you didn't realize I had to be here? Like it's the temple. It's Jerusalem. You really didn't know I had to, I was going to be here. And it's amazing that he's so amazed that like mom and dad, you didn't know that I must be in my father's house. A couple things there, right? You're talking about your father. I mean, your father It's your father right here. His name's Joseph right here, right? What do you mean your father's house? Um, it's a little thing there, right? Of my father's house. Okay. What's he trying to say? But my father's house is not a location. We think about, oh, I had to be here in my father's house geographically. Um, this idea of being in the house of, you know, the house of mines, right? If you're in, if you're in the mines house, then, then you're under the authority of someone. The name Mines, maybe, maybe it's a matriarch, it's a woman, or maybe it's a patriarch, it's a guy. But either way, they're under the authority of this name, of this person. And, and so when Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's kind of saying, didn't you know that if I was going to be up to something, I was going to be up to the business of God. I was going to be doing his business. I was going to be minding his affairs. I was going to be, like, if I was going to be doing anything, I was going to be doing, getting to know God. And did you notice what he was doing when he's there? Did you notice what he's up to? I love this. He was listening and asking questions. Isn't that great? Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus. And they were amazed at his answers, but that's not what it primarily says. It says that he was listening and he was asking questions. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that say to be a child of God. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. The word children often, is often used uh, as a synonym for a disciple because a disciple and a child both should be followers, should be listening, should be asking questions, should be trying to learn. They should, it, literally, uh, what I read says their mind should be moldable and their heart should be uh, tangible, should be moldable as well. And so Jesus, in a lot of ways here, he's not there. I read this passage sometimes as like, almost like uh, with, with a bit of a guilty heart, like, wow, even 12-year-old Jesus is awesome. You know, like even 12-year-old Jesus is kind of rebuking his parents, but he's not, he's not. He didn't know they, he kind of got caught up in, he didn't know, but he's, he's just simply surprised that I had to be here. And it, think about that mindset for a second. Think about the mindset Jesus' mindset is, if you knew, you should have known how much I love God. If you knew that, you wouldn't be surprised that I was here. If you knew how much I love God, you wouldn't be surprised that I'm having a quiet time. It's just, you wouldn't be surprised. And a lot of times as people, are, uh, we try to change our behavior a lot. We try to think, am I a good son? Am I a good daughter? Do I do good? Am I a good kid? And we act kind of like if our actions will then add up to then be enough, right? Am I a good father? Am I a good son? Am I a good daughter? But a lot of times when people would ask in the Middle East, especially at this time, you see it in the Bible, it's say Bar Jonah or Bar Abbas or actually your name was son of, Bar is son of. So, you know, Barabbas toward the, when Jesus is crucified is son of Abbas or Abba. Uh, Simon Bar Jonah is simply Simon, son of Jonah. So in your name, embedded in your name was your dad. So it would be Drew Bar Mike, you'd say, right? He's, he's son of Mike. It's actually really funny. I, um, my dad had done a lot of work. My mom and dad did a lot of work for our family of churches many years ago. And I used to go to conferences and 
Uh, I would meet people who, you know, would be like, you know, people who would be of some renown, like people who would preachers, they oversaw a lot of different regions of churches. And I'd want to go meet them. And I'd often introduce myself as, as Drew uh, Mines. And they'd always go, Drew Mines, Mines, Mines. You know, kind of searching for like, that seems important to me. And then I would say, oh yeah, my dad is Mike Mines. And they would go, oh wow, what's up? How are you? It's good to see you. How's your dad? What's going on? You know, instant change, right? Did I change? I was still Drew. I was still like that first picture, smiling all funny, right? I was kind of, I was still, still sinful, awkward. Drew, it's, they, they, their attitude toward me changed when they learned who my dad was. Like, oh my, oh wow. Even one time there's a, a guy named, uh, no, not important what his name is, but he, he, uh, he leads, <laughs> used to lead churches out in, um, used to lead churches uh, somewhere else. And uh, <laughs> I, um, when you do a, when you do a podcast, you got to be careful what's online. So um, somebody else is out there. Anyway, he, he's a real person. Um, but anyway, so I met him I, and I introduced myself and I said, I'm Drew Mines. He goes, oh my goodness. He got real serious. He goes, what your dad said to me in 2003 changed my life. And he gave me this big hug and he, and we, and he we were at a conference of you know, over a thousand people. And he decided to like walk with me at that point. Let's walk and talk. Let's walk and talk. And I'm like, I'm walking and talking with this guy right now. I mean, here we go. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. We're walking and talking and he's sharing things, sharing his life. And I'm, all of a sudden I had this, this like weird in with this guy. And I told my dad later, I said, dad, what you said to him in 2003 changed his life. And my dad was like, I have no idea what I said. Um, but I guess it was good. I don't know at that point, but, but it's funny because we can often think, we come into church and we think, how did I do this week? How am I a good son? Am I a good daughter? And Jesus simply is not at the temple to increase his spiritual status. He's not at the temple to try to uh, get his memory verses on straight. He simply says to his mom, if you knew how much I loved God, you would have known I would have been here. Like, don't you know who my father is? And I love that response because it's a response that's one full of grace. It's not one of like, don't you know what I have to do? The whole world says, do these things and then you'll be something and you'll be embraced. Every religion says that. Buddhism says, uh, meditate and then you'll find that peace, right? You'll, uh, you'll find um, reincarnation in Hinduism. And, and even, even a lot of Christian, uh, even Catholicism can be very much the way of, of if you sin, do penance, and then, you, then you'll be enough and you have to confess, and then you'll be enough, and then you have, you have to keep kind of showing up and keep doing these things. But it's interesting that all those preach this do these things, and then you'll be embraced. Before Jesus is even close to the cross, he's trying to help people understand what it really means to be a disciple. And he shows it here in two sentences. He's listening. He's asking questions. And when he's asked why is he doing it, he says, don't you know who my dad is? That is discipleship. That's Christianity. That's what it is. Not, why are you having a quiet time? Well, I didn't have one all week and I just, I need to get one in. Or, or I, why, are you, why are you studying the Bible? Well, I need to, I feel guilty. I sinned a lot last week or I haven't been coming around a lot recently. I just need to, we are so motivated by guilt. Yeah. We are, and those, but guilt, guilt eventually fades because yeah. you'll have a good week and then no more church, yeah. no more God, no more prayer. I feel I'm doing great. I was talking to a brother recently. I feel like in years past, when my struggles with sexual purity were so bad, prayer was easy. Because I had a topic to pray about. It was like, what should I pray about? Oh, that stuff that's really dogging me right now. In the last few years, I've been struggling with my prayer life. Because I've realized, what do I pray about? Yeah. 
What do I, I've been praying about this thing that's been dogging me. And amen, God's granted a lot of victory. I'm not out of it all the way. But God's granted a ton of victory to where I'm like, what's really my relationship with God about? Like, what do, when, the, when things are good, what do I, was I just going to God for like to assuage my guilt for years and years? And I, I think a part of me was. And I'm like, but when, what, what do I go to God for? And sometimes we can have a relationship like that with our dad, right? Or a dad, just like go to them when, we, when something bad happens. Um, whenever I used to call my parents in college, they'd be like, what happened? You know, like, what? Well, I'm going to knock my teeth out again and different things like that. Um, that's a true story, different time. But knock my teeth out or something. Or I, you know, broke my back or these different types of things that happened to me. And they'd be like, what happened? What's going on? Or my t- car got towed and I don't have enough money or, you know, but we can kind of go to dad like that. Um, but I love Jesus, that Jesus responds like this because his mom is, is, feels betrayed and she's confused. And she doesn't understand kind of what Jesus is saying. I think the challenge for us as a church is that we've got to follow, we've got to know that God is our father. And in saying that, God is the head of our household. God is our authority figure. God's got to be bigger than everything else. He must be. He must be, and I'll tell you why. Because Jesus here is interesting. He doesn't say, Jesus goes to the temple and he says, Mom and Dad, you know what? I've been watching your faith recently. It's not very good. And I'm going to go become the Messiah in the temple, live in Jerusalem, kind of the heart of all religious activity. I'll be here because it's better. And you, I need to reject you guys. And I need to embrace God or reject family. And he doesn't do that. What is the next verse after it says he went along with them? It says he obeyed them. But some versions say, and then he submitted to them. So Jesus's love and his knowing that God is his father actually helped him submit. Knowing that God is his father helped him obey. A lot of times in marriage, we can struggle with the idea of submission. Well, Ephesians 5, 21, right before it says wives submit, it says, uh, it says submit to each other, rather submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we have reverence for Christ, if we know God is our father, obedience, submission, a love Connection become all the more easy. Any inability to love someone else, any inability to, 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 not, to not forgive, any, any struggle to love someone else or to obey or to submit is innately a struggle with God. There's not, God's not your father. And sometimes we feel like we're in these impossible situations where we have to choose and we think, but Drew, I hear what you're saying, but honestly, my girlfriend or my boyfriend makes me feel like something. And I just don't feel anything with God. And sure, I'll come to things, I'll be there, I'll do the right thing. But honestly, I don't feel it with God. I feel it with this boyfriend. And I don't care what he wants or what he does or this girlfriend, what she wants or what she does. I'm going to go along with it because she makes me feel good. I don't care, Drew. I know what you're saying about God. I know it in my head. But you know what? My, my job, I need this money. I need this security. I need the lifestyle that I want. I need the apartment. I need the car. If I have that, then I can have the friendships at work. I can, have the, I can be plugged into the network of Charlottesville. I know what you're saying, Drew, but my wife is just, my husband is just in a really bad place right now. And I need to just put all my efforts toward taking care of them. I need to make sure they're okay. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. I just can't even think about God right now. I can't even think about God. And we can get in these moments where we can kind of set up the false dichotomy. We can set up the fork in the road. Drew, you're saying to choose God, but I just, I, it's impossible. I can't. I know I should, and maybe someday I will, but right now it's just not probable. It's not logical. It's not realistic. 
And then Christianity becomes this ideal. And we just go on living the way we would have all along. And by loving this snapshot, what Jesus does, what Jesus says. And Jesus helps them, helps them understand. It's really just about knowing who your father is. It's really just about knowing who your dad is. Because when we can love God, we can love others better. And what do I mean by better? When we love God, we actually get all the things we wanted anyway. With the boyfriend, we wanted acceptance. But it won't last. It never will. It never does. With the job, we wanted validation. It won't last. It never will. It never does. Uh, With the school, with the whatever, with the likes on social media, it never will. It never does. Because you'll need more. You need a bigger hit next time. You'll need to increase your dosage. It'll never fulfill. You'll be an addict. You'll be sucked in. You'll get the part in the play. You'll get the job. You'll get the promotion. You'll get those things you always thought would be enough. And you'll just need more. You'll need it more intensely. You'll need it. And it'll never, ever fulfill. But Jesus is not saying, follow me and nothing else. Jesus is saying, if you really want to love people, you've got to love God. And there's a reason. Because love is not just all sunshine and bunnies, right? Love (laughs) is difficult. And there will come a time when love will hurt. And then it gets to a point where we find out who the real father is. There's some great scriptures that talk about this. One of them is Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. We live in a world where we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt. And amen, we shouldn't try to do any of those things. But we don't, we, we, we get, we're not really good at those moments where we've got to, where love will hurt. Love will hurt. But sometimes that's a good thing. We live in a world that hates the idea of disciplining children. It just bothers us. It bothers us. We think what good can come from disciplining a child? We want them to have comfort and want that freedom. But children's minds are moldable. They'll do whatever they're told to do. Children's minds are incredibly malleable. They'll adjust. Um, And so, but it's amazing, even with discipline, how I think we're swinging to a place where like, what? But we don't want to do any kind of discipline because it just bothers us. We think, and that's how we live our lives in general. We don't want to be negative. We don't want to, we're coming to church, let's have some good vibes. Positive vibes, good vibes in here, safe vibes. Oh, you feel safe? You feel good? You feel positive? All right, it's good play, good church, real safe. Um, and those, I'm not saying we need to start hurting each other's feelings, you know, like on purpose. I won't give an example because um, I don't want to be that self-deprecating because I'm, you know, I hurt my own feelings. But I think we get to a place where we forget that, that love will hurt. And I think dads are a little bit better at this. I don't want to generalize. I don't like to generalize, but dads can be pretty good at this of like, you know, I... He needs discipline. You know, get up, right? You're fine, right? Some dad's like, you're fine. And mom's like, he's hurt really bad, you know? Like, It'll heal, you know? Like, I don't think so. Um, and not to say one's better than the other, but there's a beautiful thing about that. Moms are really good at, you know, as the hen gathers her chicks, right? That's a great example of a mother. But, but fathers can be really good. I, I, my first year of playing football, uh, I was not very good. I thought I would be better. Uh, and I wasn't very good. I was nine. I was, I was overweight and I didn't play well. It was rough. I, I threw up almost every other practice. I vomited. Uh, I couldn't do the conditioning. And I wanted to quit. And my mom said, yes, I think we can do that. My dad, my dad said, you've got to finish out the year. And I, and I cried. And a nine-year-old overweight boy cried over and over. And I said, dad, you don't understand. You don't understand. And it was difficult. Like I had, 
To this day, when I smell fresh cut grass, I get butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> They're here, right? My dad said, finish out the year. Finish out the year. Finish out the year. I played nine more years of football. And we had uh, six different championships I was a part of. I didn't do much in the contribute, but that was part of it, okay? I was on the team. But I think fathers are good at that, right? And they, and they, and they move us along. Uh, and because we're going to get to a place. Another verse is Galatians 1, 10. It says, am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. And even within our faith, we get to a place where everything's about people. Which church should I go to? Who's gonna, what's going to please the most people? Who, how can I make people happy? What's going to please my wife? Which, how much can I do this week to, to make sure everyone's happy? Keep everyone happy. I love if Paul says, am I, am I still, how could you accuse me? The Galatians apparently are accusing him of this. He goes, you, how, I'm a slave of Christ. I care about what he thinks. And I want to encourage you and close out with a thought. Um, but let's turn there, because I promised we'd turn places and I haven't done it yet. Second Kings 1. Second Kings chapter 1. If you don't know where it is, it's um, right after 1 Kings. Second Kings 1. Now, a little background. I never do this, but we're doing it. Uh, Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven, right? Elisha says, can I come? Elijah says, yeah, but just don't say anything. All right, be quiet. So he goes, all right, I'll come with you. And so they do a lot of things. Anyway, Elijah's about to be taken up uh, into heaven. Let's see. And um, we'll begin. There you go. Verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together in 111. Sorry, 211. uh, 2 Kings 2.11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and of horses appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and it tore in, tore in two. Elijah's taken up to heaven. Elisha, in this brief moment, he gets to see the reality. The reality is that we're not alone. There's a heavenly host. He gets to see that we're not actually in that fight alone. We are surrounded by the angels of heaven. And it, he, it takes him. He goes, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He sees what's really going on in the spiritual realm. How cool is that? Uh, chapter 13, he does it again, right? When he, when he, actually, when Elisha dies, he says the same thing. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He sees this heavenly host moment. I wanted to look at this because when, we fa- when we're faced with these impossible decisions day in and day out, and we can feel like it's impossible, and we feel like we can never do it, I think my challenge for us today as, as it's Father's Day is just to simply know, to really deeply know who your father is. Because a day will come when you'll have to, and it may come very soon, you have to make impossible little choices, but a day will come when you have to make impossible big choices. Right. Actually choosing between different things and different authorities in our life. And the challenge I want to give is that as Jesus says in Luke chapter 2, that he was gone for three days and his mother felt betrayed and confused. You know, 29 years later, in the same exact place, Mary would still be betrayed and still be confused and not understand what her son is doing when he goes to the cross and he dies. And when Jesus makes this decision and he struggles in the garden 
What's he doing with God in the garden? The same thing he's doing when he's 12. He's asking questions. He says, God, can you take this cup away from me? He's having an interactive, intimate conversation with his dad. But he's able, because he trusts his dad, because he believes his dad, because he knows who his father is, he's able to accept the answer, no. And Jesus is able to go on and do the right thing, even though he doesn't necessarily agree with it. He says, God, take this away. I don't want to die. I don't want to be crucified. I'm struggling with it. He's bleeding blood, hematidrosis. His capillaries are bursting into his sweat glands. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But he's able to say, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He's able to carry it out simply because he loves and knows who his dad is. But that's not even it. That's not even enough there. Because you and I are guaranteed that if we obey, we get the heavenly host. We will not be abandoned. Jesus did not get the heavenly host. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he did not. And when Jesus is on the cross, he does not cry out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. What does Jesus see on the cross? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no host with Jesus. There's no one there to be with him that God himself has separated himself from Christ, or rather the sin, your sin that Christ took on, separated Christ from God, because God is so perfect, so holy, he cannot be one with sin, just as light cannot be one with darkness. But in that moment where Jesus is faced with this impossible choice, he's able to obey, just as he did when he was 12. He's able to submit, just as he did when he was 12, because he has a relationship with God where he's a child, where he's able to ask questions, and he's able to... I'll be open to being wrong. He's able to get help. And so I want to leave us with this idea today that when we leave here, and as we go throughout this week, instead of thinking, what's the right thing to do? How can I be a good son? How can I be a good daughter? Instead of thinking that way, if you are a part of God's household, if you've made the choice, if you've gone through really studying the Bible, if you've repented, you've been baptized, you are a part of God's household, I want to encourage you to hold your head up high this week. When you walk out of the house, don't think I'm a single mom. What good could I do? Think I'm a single mom and God is my dad. I, I know who my father is. Don't think oh, my, my, my family's a mess. What good could I do? No, my, my, my father is God. I know who my dad is. And he is a good, good father. And when they hear my name, they won't think, oh, it's just you. They'll think, who, who's your dad? Oh, oh, God. It's, oh it's God. Your, dad, your dad's God. What in the world? Come on in. Let's watch together. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. And the beautiful thing about walking around and whether you're single and you, you oh, I don't know, I, I, I'm not married. Who cares? You have a God who is your father. Right. Well, I'm not smart. I can't read very well. Who cares? I'm not intellectual. Who cares? I'm not, I'm not. Those things don't matter to our father. Right. He just simply accepts us and says, at a boy, at a girl, even when you mess up, right. it's unconditional. If we're not part of that household yet, if we haven't studied the Bible, we haven't repented, we haven't been baptized, we haven't had that faith, I encourage you that it simply begins with Jesus. Jesus, when he was 12, I want to encourage you, be like Jesus when he was 12. Ask questions. Ask lots of questions. Set up a time this week to ask lots of questions. Set up a time this week to look at the scriptures, ask questions, try to figure out who is this, what is this? Just simply have a heart of a child. It simply begins there, and that never leaves. When we forget that discipleship is just being a child, then we get into all sorts of trouble, all sorts of problems. And on this Father's Day, this great day, we can remember that even though when we, we know that when we obey, we'll be affirmed, 
Christ knew that when he obeyed, he would be rejected. And that's, Jesus is the only person who's ever done everything right his entire life. And he was sent to hell for three days. Simply so that you can wake up and realize that since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, God has cared nothing except your, about nothing except your redemption. And in order to do that, he would do something so unfathomable, so unthinkable, so heart-wrenching that it wakes you up and makes you realize, what have I been doing? This is incredible. I have this kind of love? Of course. Let's go. I know who my father is. Let's do this thing. And just like Natalie will today make that decision, and we get to celebrate that with her, the rest of her life, no matter what happens, she can look back. What's today? 16th, right? She can look back and say... Satan, get the heck out of here. June 16th, 2019. Well, you're not enough. You'll never be enough. You're right. I will never be enough. June 16th, 2019. But you'll never make it June 16th, 2019. You messed up. You blew it. June 16th, 2019. God gives us this great gift to remember. We are his offspring. We are his children. And as we close out today, we're actually going to sing the song, Good, Good Father. And let's sing with our whole heart this Father's Day and remember who our Father is. Amen. And to God be the glory.